Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge podcast. Today's guest is Nancy Goodman, a counselor at Pocatello High School and the author of Fumbling Towards Serenity, a weekly guide. And that's a compilation of columns she wrote for the Idaho State Journal from 2008 to 2012. Nancy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your book. So um, I am a, a high school counselor currently. I've been in the counseling profession probably about 25 years. Uh, the last seven or so have been in K-12, so working in a high school. So before that, I was in higher education. So I worked on a college campus in a variety of capacities. I've also done personal counseling in a private practice. I've done a little addictions counseling, um, worked for a big agency. So I feel like I've gotten a lot of, have done a lot of different things in the counseling world. I've done some organizational development consulting also. So kind of branching into a bunch of different areas. So um, right now I'm loving high school environment and that's where I'm at right now. Awesome. um, And I wrote the book. So I wrote a column in the newspaper um, for a while and it was a weekly column about really kind of anything I wanted to talk about. I kind of had that great license to speak as a counselor and kind of write about whatever I kind of wanted to and was a great chance for me to kind of stretch into areas I don't necessarily talk about with a client, but it was a great way to kind of get a big audience and um, get more people kind of paying attention to that stuff. And then I compiled the columns into the book, which was kind of my COVID, a little bit of my self-care project during these bumpy times in secondary ed that took a while. I finally was able to finish it and um, it was a huge accomplishment where I self-published it on Amazon, and that was a huge learning experience, and now I'm really happy that it's just kind of out there. Yeah. Trying to figure out what's next, so. So, I would highly recommend Nancy's book. I told her when I first bought it and was reading through it that picking it up is like having a good friend right there to give you advice, and the cool thing about it is it's organized by season and by year and by month, so you can just pick a column every week and it matches with the season. So one of the columns is on Thanksgiving and how to make the most of that holiday. So I was hoping since that's coming up, Nancy would share a little bit of wisdom of hers from the book with us. And so what I have, so part of the book is seasonal. So holiday stuff will kind of end up in holiday times. And a lot of that, the self-care and the balance and how to keep your center when there's a lot of busyness going on that might not necessarily be authentic to you. Um, You know, sort of obligations kind of come into play during the holidays. So what, uh, what I've got right here is some ways to do more with the Thanksgiving holiday. So it's more than just football and turkey. Um, And one of the ideas that I have in the book is the idea of doing like an affirmation a little affirmation book and it's really easy what you would do before your dinner or gathering is make a little notebook so just by really folding some pieces of paper together stapling them on the sides where it's blank and then throughout the meal what you could be doing is passing so a book that has your name on it then you pass it everybody passes it to the right and then everybody writes something about the person on the cover and it just kind of goes around the table Right. So maybe something that you appreciate about them, something about what you like or how they brightened your day or some of their strengths. And then what happens is when it comes around the table and it comes back to you is what you have now is a little affirmation book. Right. Of what somebody outside of your head has said about you. 
And I see that as being uh, an amulet or a token or something that you could be using for lots of times. So it's a great, you know, I think it's a fun idea to do during Thanksgiving or any family gathering. It kind of gives people something to do. And I think the gift of that is that you end up with just something that is validating, you know, mm-hmm. something that's like a present to you in a way. Um, I'm kind of a big fan. I talk about it in the book, the idea of when we go into something that's stressful, it could be anything from going into a classroom on Monday, um, going into a job interview, going into a meeting that might be stressing you out, parent meetings or whatnot, things that you can have on your person to protect you a little bit. And that's an ancient, ancient custom. As you see those things everywhere, we see pictures of people in the military where they've got pictures of their family or a little token of some kind. So the affirmation book is just an example of what that could be. Keep it in your pocket, keep it in your backpack, keep it in your in your room somewhere that you can kind of pull it out when you need a little boost to get yourself kind of back to your core self. Yeah, I really love that idea. And I've talked before about how a lot of teachers will collect these positive notes from students mm-hmm. or parents, put them in a folder, put them in a drawer, and pull them out on those bad days. But I don't see why any person couldn't do that same practice, just collecting those nice notes. Mm-hmm. So I love that idea. And I would argue, keep them on display. Oh. You know, if it's, if you're, <laughs> I imagine a teacher in a classroom, mm-hmm. right? Keep them right next to your computer mm-hmm. so that you can look at them. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of on your radar. Eventually, if we see something, we do eventually kind of space it out like it kind of drops off. But you see it. It's there. Um, You don't even have to hunt and find it. Right. So just maybe even having it visible. Yeah. I would think would maybe be something to do. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So let's get into um, some more of the core of the interview here. And the reason I asked Nancy to come on is because a lot of people right now are just having a hard time recovering from the pandemic in general. We've seen lots of increases in mental health needs. And so I thought it would be great to bring on a mental health expert who's in the schools every single day to talk to us about what she's seeing. So before we kind of tackle that, I first want you to talk about your work as a counselor because if people haven't worked in schools before, they may not understand the difference between a school counselor and a clinical counselor. So what exactly does your job entail? What are some of the multiple hats that you wear? Okay, and that's a good question. Um, Now I do have a counseling license and a lot of school counselors do have the license that says I can go out and hang up a shingle or work at an agency and do that clinical work, we're just choosing not to. Um, So school counseling, I'm actually kind of working a little bit on like, what would be a model? How do we explain what a school counselor does? Because I think it's hard to explain even within the school counseling community. Um, And I think a lot of stuff is important that isn't necessarily considered important. So... I kind of call myself a little bit of a ninja counselor. I think what we do during the day, and that's what I love about working in a high school, is it's kind of an organic, alive, you are following a group of kids through their day. Um, And whatever happens to them, they end up in your office. um, And that's your job is to kind of help them finish up that day. So, but with leaving them with skills, leaving them with something that's going to help them keep going. always I'm always kind of trying to plant seeds of what can you work on what can be helpful here's a strategy 
do a skill. Um, a lot of times a teenager, they just don't know how to do stuff. They haven't learned mental health stuff. They're learning that in the moment. So a lot of times what I'm doing is really just kind of light educational pieces of things. Like here's how you breathe. Here's um, thought replacement. You know, here's some really easy little strategies to that you will use your whole life. It's not just for high school, right? So being offer being able to offer the building blocks of long term mental health and wellness you might get from a school counselor just because something happened and you went in there and you talked to them for fifteen minutes. But if you left with something useful, that's that's what I feel is part of my job is to sprinkle little things around give them a tip or something that they can use um, and then wait for the next one. So that's that, that kind of organic alive sort of conflict resolution or emotional regulation. Somebody gets really upset, kind of helping them calm down, resolving little fights between people if things are coming up or things that are really just interfering with their ability to get through the day, Um, helping them stabilize feelings. Um, There's a lot of stuff that goes on with family. We have kids come in in the morning who've maybe had a fight with their parents just before school. So they come in all upset. And, you know, what we do is we help them kind of come back to center and think about things in a way that might be helpful, give them a couple tips and kind of send them on their way. The other thing I think is a really cool part of school counseling that I think doesn't get the attention it really deserves, at least not in secondary ed, but it does in higher ed, is the idea of class selection, things like that. Um, It's not just picking classes. I feel like it's a little bit more rich than that. Um, when I worked at a university at um, the Central Academic Advising, there, there's a whole rich field of information that really circulates around class choice. Honestly, it's vocational, it's, it's occupational, it's, um, it's an opportunity to find out what they're interested in, it's an opportunity to find out what barriers there might, what there might be, um, it's a chance to help them kind of break out of what they think they might already know. I can't tell you how many times I try and get kids into theater, into art, um, trying those little riskier types of classes so that they can grow a little bit and, and kind of stretch out that comfort zone. So course selection is a big part of what school counselors do. Um, I take that fairly seriously. NACADA, the National Academic Advising Association, is a big, huge, massive um, organization of higher education, you know, academic advisors, essentially. Um, But there's a ton of juicy stuff that goes on with that. So that's part of the job, too, um, is a lot of that course selection. And then we also do a lot of meetings. So we help out with the special ed department. We um, participate in the IEPs. We provide feedback if it's relevant. We do our response to intervention, which is what's going on with a handful of kids. Students of concern is what we would call that when I was at, in, you know, at higher education is the students of concern list um, that we get a lot of that information from teachers. They're worried about a student. Um, what do we do about it? So that comes into the school counseling office too. So those are some big facets of it. And we do tons of stuff. I mean, there's we do holiday assistance for people. We, you know, we have snacks. We have, it's just a nice place to kind of come decompress. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just what a student needs. Mm-hmm. So the day is as different as the day is. Um, mm-hmm. When I first started in school counseling, one of my 
um, supervisors was like, every day is different. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. I like the variety mm-hmm. that you don't get necessarily in a clinical environment. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I like a little bit of, I like it mixed up a little bit. Um, seeing clients all day isn't necessarily my favorite thing to do, mm-hmm. especially since the reality is you're doing paperwork for the client, which can take just as much time and you're not getting paid for that. So mm-hmm. what I really love is the idea that I can just be organic. Mm-hmm. Um, a student comes in wherever they are and I can kind of just jump in with them where they are instead of saying, hold up, let me check your treatment plan and let me check your insurance and let me fill out this big, huge assessment before we even get into the good stuff. So that's what I like. Even though I don't see them regularly, I'm generally going to refer after that. But I love that ability to just be organic and natural in the moment with a student without any paperwork barriers, financial barriers, things like that. I like how you say that with the class selection, there's a lot more meaning to that because it is important. It can define what a student does in their life. It can help them with self confidence, Mm -hmm. self-image, all Mm -hmm. those things. So it is a lot more important than just this little task. Yeah. And I think it does require a certain amount of expertise and skill to really ask the right questions, get stuff out of them. Um, So I think there's definitely a savvy to that, um, that I think a lot of people don't necessarily see as being of value. I, I do. So, and that's kind of one of my pieces of advocacy is like, this is we need to be the ones doing that. You know, it's not, um, not anybody would necessarily have the ability to, because you're asking micro questions, you're asking, you know, you're poking around, you're seeing if you can find um, students who are willing to stretch, you're, you know, students who are super avoidant of stuff. It's like, it's really interesting conversations that can come with that. Yeah. And counselors do even more too. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of times they're going to be on their building leadership team. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're talking and presenting yep. at staff oh, yeah. in meetings. Uh-huh. And you guys a lot of times facilitate testing, SAT mm-hmm. testing, mm-hmm. ISATs, AP testing. Yeah. So yeah. you guys do a lot for we schools. Do. We do. That's a piece I would just as soon have somebody else do. Um, it's not a high student contact kind of job assess running an SAT or a PSAT it's I feel that that's my little soapbox is that could be somewhere else and that does free me up to get into the classrooms more um I really like and I was able to do at the past high school is the health classes or the teen living classes where they already have a psychology class where they already have things like mental health and relationships and self-esteem like built into that curriculum so being able to come in and just jump into what's already being talked about it gives the teacher a break so they're not the only ones you know talking about stuff so that's what I really like is is picking on those opportunities to talk about something that's already being talked about but to be the one doing it yeah so I would love to be doing more of that TAs if there's ever such a thing um, those teacher advisory times where we try to push information out to the students um, those things are kind of fun Mm -hmm. also that we I don't get to do very much right now but that would be nice to kind of have a little bit more of that For sure. Yeah. So tell us about what you've noticed in terms of mental health among students and school staff. Let's start with students. So as a counselor, what have you noticed about their mental health needs over the years and especially since the pandemic? So what are some of the biggest stressors in kids' lives right now? There's a lot of things. 
as it comes to academics, I think the last, it's a really interesting right now, the cohorts that I kind of pay attention to that um, are seniors. And this is like nationwide. It's really global. American education is unique in and of itself, right? The Americana experience of education is uniquely American. Um, the one building schoolhouses and how that's all evolved. Um, our today's seniors were freshmen when we went emergency learning, spring of 2020. They were freshmen. Their sophomore year was either hybrid or remote, some crazy combination of that. And then last year was semi-normal, although we still like we had to have a day where everybody was sick. We just nobody was there. Um, and then this is our back to normal, kind of like that second year. So this senior class has really been um, that's the frame around that group. Alternately, what we also have are our current freshmen, our freshmen right in the door this year, globally, nationally, were in sixth grade. Those kiddos are having a hard time right now. Um, they were in sixth grade when we went emergency learning in the spring. Seventh grade, when it was hybrid or online, and who knows how the instruction happened. I think that was a that is a miracle that is bigger than anybody. How honestly all of that came to be with in such a short period of time. That's sometimes I think about things like that, and it's just bigger than any individual or group of teachers. It's like how did that even happen? From just one teacher all of a sudden being able to do all these extra things, and I think that's a testament to the passion and. Um, sense of purpose that I think comes with the teaching occupation. Um, so then your sixth graders spent their eighth grade last year semi-normal, and this year they're freshmen. So what I'm finding academically is a lot of students are really struggling with kind of the getting back to normal experience. And I can see that, right? They, why can't I do something online? Why, why do I need to be back in here every day? Why is attendance important again, even though it always has been since the beginning of time? So I see a lot of struggling readjusting um, and I see a lot of pushback on on that. And unfortunately, teenagers will and kids will they'll say no, not realizing that at some point you have to get to yes. Right. That's an adult skill is you can say no and stomp and scream and cry, but then eventually getting to yes. OK, I'll do it. That's what kids and teenagers need to still learn how to do. So there's a lot. I think there's a lot of academic stress. Um, getting back into the way it's kind of supposed to be. Um, and, you know, it's been really um, a challenging kind of world. There's a lot of sort of negativity amongst the adults in society right now. There's been a lot of conflict. Um, and kids, students will absorb that, right? They are They are modeling us. So what I see is a lot more maybe anger, maybe dissatisfaction, not sure what to do with all the feelings that they see is kind of swirling around them. Um, a lot of real contention, I think, has trickled down and I think is impacting students where um, they're coming in again, kind of having absorbed a lot of their adults' feelings that where the adults have made their opinions very, very clear the last couple of years about a lot of things related to, to education. And unfortunately, the kids come in reflecting that where it's not necessarily in their best interest. So, and social emotional, I feel like that has really, um, perfect storm 
I'm not going to say necessarily specifically related to COVID, but COVID plus social media, which just happens to be coming. It was our saving grace to be able to do education with our modern technology, but also making the online experience so much more important. It's just not healthy. So learning their balances between like real life living and what is happening in their virtual worlds. I think that's a, that's a huge stressor without the COVID and COVID would be a huge stressor without that, but you got both things going on at once. So they're just kind of trying to navigate a world that has changed under their feet. Um, people are struggling, they lose jobs, you know, the, the parents struggle. Students pick up on that and then they come into school with it. So I think there's just a lot of like free floating, I'm gonna say anxiety, depression, um, that is coming from a lot of different places. I've interviewed quite a few people about mental health this fall, and a lot of them say the exact same things you do. They're soaking it up from the adults around mm -hmm. them, social media, the perfect storm, all mm -hmm. that kind of things. So for teachers, they're really on the front lines Absolutely. of seeing what kids are experiencing, and it might show up in a kid not doing their homework mm -hmm. or becoming disengaged or not coming to class or or being belligerent, being, or... being, um, combative mm -hmm. and confrontive, mm -hmm. um, aggressive, I would argue. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, that's, they're getting permission from that somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, so I see it. That's where I come. I'm kind of seeing an uptick is like kind of in the level of resistance. Mm -hmm. So what can teachers do when they are noticing you know, a student or students who are struggling. I mean, teachers all know, refer to a counselor, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. we want to do something too because we're seeing that student every day. Mm -hmm. So what are things we can do before that referral, after that referral, and just every day when we're, when right. teachers are seeing those students? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things in this district at least is that we, we've got some good background on like trauma-informed stuff, right? So teaching, counseling, as if with the learned awareness that these kids are coming in with stuff that is going to trigger certain behaviors. Um, and I feel that's one thing that's been good. I'd say alongside of this is a movement towards trauma and being aware that students in your classroom have got stuff going on at home or in their life outside of school that is going to be impacting. So, I see that as being something that could be helpful to teachers to be, to have that understanding, to provide a little bit more compassion, a little bit more grace, um, a little bit more flexibility within reason, within reason. But I think that does go a long way towards quieting what might be going on in the teacher. We're all human. We're all adults. We've all had our own feelings the last couple of years. Um, we have kids at home that, you know, we're bleeding our stuff onto and I try really hard to not bleed too hard onto my kid. Um, but that I think has also been a helpful thing is the, the rise of awareness that, um, these kids are coming in with stuff going on outside that, that can come into play. And I think that might ease a little bit of stress. It's possible that it would ease a little bit of, um, sort of the power struggling that might be going on. And 
a little bit more a sprinkling of a little bit more compassion and understanding and grace, just loose grace of I'm not going to fight this fight today. Um, I'm going to choose my battles. I'm going to do my best to and teachers are so great. They're engagers, right? They're they're performers. You stand up in a class and you you try and get students involved and interested in in, in your material. And I think the more you let that shine, whatever subject that is, that'll that'll come out in some of your students for sure. Um, and then kind of building on that energy of like, this is, I am doing these good things in classroom. These are the students that are engaging, um, might give you a little bit more patience to, to, to handle the ones that aren't because there's probably a reason. Um, and again, this is a struggling time. I do think it's temporary. I guess I'm, I'm going to land on optimism because that's how I'm wired that even within the next couple of years, once we get sort of, we got, again, we've got these kids who are sixth grade are now freshmen, right? So we got to kind of get through that cohort a little bit. And then we get to the kids who are in second, third grade when COVID happened. And that's, they're going to recover from that. They're going to have more time in middle school to work out all the behavior kinks and things and um, students coming in as freshmen the last couple of years where they haven't really been in a classroom and they haven't learned how to really socialize and show respect and, and things like that to somebody standing in front of a classroom, that wave is going to pass because the kids coming up behind will have had more time sort of back to normal, at least before they hit high school. So I see it as kind of temporary. I'm hoping that's the case. I think we definitely need some resources to help change how things are done um, to provide more support to students during the day, because some of it isn't going to change. Some of it is social media is here to stay, I think. So still learning how to handle it. We know so much more about adverse childhood experiences and how that impacts learning, the ACE scores. Um, that stuff isn't going to go away. But I think what we've learned about it and how we can build in that area is just to throw more resources behind that so we get better at handling those students who are um, very much letting us know that there's something going on that's stressful. Briefly, what do you mean by more resources? Um, I'd say more school counselors would be nice. Changing the role of school counselors. Um, I, I, I feel like the testing is extra. Like that does it, That's not student-centered time, but it's very time-consuming. So I'm going to say more school counselors, making sure that our student loads aren't as super high as they have been. Um, being more proactive if you're somebody who's a decision maker to make sure that you're getting those mental health bodies in the, in the schools um, through a variety of means. That's kind of what I mean. And also helping teachers have more understanding about what's going on. And I think throwing more support behind teachers making teachers feel more empowered, making them feel more valued is going to give the teachers more energy, the educators, so that they can have more um, energy for dealing with the, the students that we know are having problems. Mm -hmm. When I was teaching, one thing that worked well for me is if I noticed a student doing things like that, like maybe they kept coming in late or they were mm -hmm. behind on their assignments or whatever it was, I, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be tempted to jump to the conclusion like, oh, they're lazy or something like that. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like there's a reason they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, I don't know what the reason is, so I need to talk to them. So I would try to pull them out in the hallway so we could talk privately. And I would just start the conversation by saying, hey, how are things going in your life? 
and that question mm -hmm. would usually open them up and they'd be like, actually, I've been having a hard time and that's why I'm falling behind. And mm -hmm. then I'd be like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. well, let's go talk to the counselor. Yeah. <laughs> or you'll have your own ideas about yeah. it too. Mm -hmm. um, I feel also one of my jobs as a school counselor is dispelling the myth of teachers being mean and not caring about mm -hmm. students and not willing to talk to them. And it's it mirrors college experience. When I worked on a college campus, I would have students come into me in the career counseling office or wherever afraid to talk to their professors. And so it's the same thing that happens in a high school, right? We're trying to teach them autonomy. So we really are like a little bit more hands off with stuff. But I have those same concerns. They're afraid of teachers. And so I feel like a lot of my role is to say, look, this person wants to talk to you. And you this know, is a human person. This is a human person. <laughs> and not, not a scary monster. Right. And I, I kind of frame it, I'm kind of a hero's journey fan. So mm -hmm. like the teachers, not only are they nice, they're not going to bite your head off, but they have information that you need. Like they have, like, it's like a dragon guarding gold. You want that gold, you need the gold, but there's a dragon in front of it. And that dragon is like your very nice English teacher, right? Um, so kind of trying to get them in there to have those communications and to dispel that. It's like an ancient myth that teachers are like these scary professors, same thing. These untouchable, scary, intimidating human beings. I'm like, please. They love it when students ask them questions. They, that, will, you will, that, you, that will provide very positive results, I promise. Um, so I kind of, I feel like a big part of my job is helping students bridge with their teachers. We get mm -hmm. that a lot in a counseling office. They'll come talk to me about a problem in a class. I'll get a phone call from a parent calling me to talk about a class. And my first question is, have you talked to the teacher? I don't know anything about science, right? I don't know what's going on in physics or whatever. You know, the teacher is your front line when it comes to that class and that's such a developmental thing. Students need to learn how to do that. They need to talk to a boss someday. They need to ask questions. They need to be building that skill. Um, so that's, the more students can do that and the more those conversations can happen where they know that they're safe, but accountable. It's mm -hmm. challenge and support. You know, challenge and support is a higher education theory, um, but it really applies to, to high, you know, to K-12 also is that, we want them to do the things and we're going to support them in doing that. Yeah. But we want them to do the things if we can. If not, I'll call a teacher. I'm fine. If there's really a huge barrier, I'm not going to waste too much time to trying to resolve the barrier. I'm just going to call. Yeah. And try and get it done. Yeah, I think that's really important to help students develop that self-advocacy as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I tell students too, or I used to tell students, I can't read your mind. I don't mm -hmm. know what's going on in your life mm -hmm. unless you tell me. So if there's anything you want me to know, just come talk to me. Mm -hmm. There's, and I would make sure they knew the times when they could come talk to me without a group, a whole class listening, like before school or right. lunch, things like that. And I think a good assumption too is not assuming that a student is gonna know stuff, right? That was kind of one of the new cool things coming into this was they don't know the idea of like boundaries. Like at home, do you have a space to do your stuff? Do you have pe Do you have time that you can be left alone for an hour? Like, like they're hearing that concept for the first time. It's not something that you're born knowing how to do. So I think counselors are good problem solvers. I think teachers are great problem solvers. Like once we know what's going on, 
that changes the power struggle into like a problem solving session. Exactly. Ideally. And that's empowering to the student to know that there's something that they can do. Yeah. Because I think a lot of them feel super helpless, right? And out of control that there's a lot of things that they're afraid that they can't do. And yet there's pressure to do it. But building up that idea of like, yes, you can, like, this is, you can do this. This is doable. Um, here's how. So, so people who are in these roles where they're working with students every day, especially where students are struggling. So that's teachers, counselors, administrators. A lot of these people have heavy burdens to carry and it can become overwhelming. So what can these professionals who work with kids every day do to keep them from getting that compassion fatigue? Right. And there's a lot of things. Um, and sometimes it's, it's hard. I'm not going to say that it's easy, right? I do think teachers are an occupation in and of itself. I don't think anybody, any other occupation even comes close to the energy and focus and um, being on that teachers have. Like that is an, that is a, you are on all day, every day with a bunch of energy balls, right? Um, one of the things I was thinking about is this idea, like stress is stress and compassion fatigue is, comp all of those things are there, but each one is kind of individual and separate. One of the things would be countertransference. How much, it's a psychological term. I just thought of it the other day that you're breathing in other students' energy all day long, right? It's in the air. It's in the hallways. It's, it's their energy and their stress and their stuff is just swirling around. And so for a teacher, it's not surprising they come home and maybe want to collapse or cry or just feel really drained or powerless and um helpless and I, I there's a moment of maybe recognizing like is this even your own stress or are you just drafting off the energy of these kids because it's a very energetic environment to be in which i didn't like that's not a higher end it's not the same um it's an alive breathing energy filled work environment and i think that's something to maybe check boxes when you go home to be like okay i want to make sure that i'm only feeling my stress <laughs> And I'm not feeling the stress of others that have just kind of drafted into my consciousness. So I think a moment of separating that out. And I think it's good to have boundaries, first of all, um, and a little bit of time in between like school and work where, or school and home where you can kind of breathe out all the other stuff, right? And kind of clear it to be just about you. Because I think it's very possible within there is a lot of the stress isn't necessarily always yours. It could be that you're just <laughs> absorbing it from everybody else. Um, so that's one. So what does that it. time look like to have a transition between school and home? It could just be the drive home, mm -hmm. you know? It could, doesn't have to be a whole lot of time, but just sort of a way to kind of like let the day drift behind you some things what I'll do sometimes is I'll even drive I don't have a short commute but no radio no nothing just silence listening to the sounds of the environment the car wheels the you know the sounds of traffic so that you're stopping the input of stimulus 
right? Because even listening to a podcast or a book on your way home or listening to the radio, that's additional input into your brain that maybe, maybe you want to just not have any more input and maybe let a little output where you can start talking to yourself a little bit or say, whoosh, that was a day. Um, just to kind of get some of that balance because it's an input heavy job, right? You're, again, you've got a lot of stuff that's coming at you all day long. Um, and to take just a little break of things coming into your brain, even if it's just like for the car ride home, right? Um, and I think boundaries, again, are really so important for educators. Um, it's really easy, I would imagine, to eat, breathe, drink this job, but you can control some of that a little bit, right? And so I think, you know, educators who are going to maintain really good, solid boundaries, there's no reason to be talking to parents at night, right? There's no reason to be answering communication after a certain time in the evening, right? There's some circumstances that warrant it, but generally not. Um, having your after work work, which is again, that invisible time that educators do that nobody seems to be really quantifying or appreciating or counting as part of what they do in terms of the life of any person in any job. CEOs work as hard, but they're making $800 billion. You know, it's different, right? The amount of hours that go into this job, I think deserves a little bit more attention and focus. Um, but creating boundaries around your time at home is another thing I think is really important um, to kind of help restore yourself a little bit because it's a stressful job. There are some days are better than others. Um, teachers, I think, are generally sort of perfectionist and, and want to do amazing. And the training is such that it's very, very um, regimented, right? Um, so teachers want to do a good job. They want to be on top of it. They want to, you know, be the, the absolutely best stellar, you know, each day that way. And you can't always be that way. That's not normal for anybody. Um, so like nobody can do that. So giving yourself a little bit of a break um, and giving yourself some permission to be like, I maybe I'm going to be a B plus today. Maybe I'm not going to be an A every day. Um, and that's a, that's a really important individual journey to take to flex your own self, right? To Stress is different for everybody. The last couple of years has sort of been a dumping of a new thing and people have handled it kind of depending on how their wiring is at the time. So people who are inclined to lean more towards a stressful mind frame, they got a huge dump of extra on that. People who maybe weren't, aren't so much like that dealt with this thing as a newer thing. So kind of is like how your mind frame is kind of just in your normal life. Who are you as a person? Some people will be more or less inclined to be super stressed out because we're all individuals. And what we all did is we all received a big, huge dose of here's this brand new novel thing on top of like our lives already. So, yeah, well, that's great advice. And I think it's good advice for people in all professions, mm -hmm. really. So I appreciate that. So let's move into our last section of the podcast, which is a lightning round. So okay. I'm going to ask you three questions and you just will respond to them in like one or two minutes. And if there's any first time listeners on the show, I'm trying to do this lightning round every time we have an educator on. It's the same three questions. Oh. So question one, what's your favorite part about being a counselor? I love the student interaction. I really do. I love it when they come in the door and with whatever. 
Um, so I really, really like that a lot. That's like my favorite thing about the, the school counseling gig is they come in with everything. Um, and their level kind of almost of innocence and like they haven't learned a lot of things yet. And to be that person who might be the person kind of teaching them for the first time, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. It's a great role to be, assuming that they're listening to me. I'm sure. Which I think are. sometimes they are. <laughs> Who knows? Well, but I really love this. I would do that over anything. Yeah. You know. That's great. Yeah. Question two. What has being a counselor taught you and what has been its greatest lesson for you? I think one of the things I've learned as a counselor is that I'm still a human being. Like, I, there's nothing necessarily special about me. That just, you know, so I still have my own imperfections. I still have my bad moments, things like that. Um, but I think as a counselor... It's been a really cool, it's a cool role. It's a noble role, just like educating is. It's um, a calling, purposeful, filled job. And I just feel really lucky that serendipity and circumstances really align to get me into this kind of a job. So I'm just really grateful for that. Um, And being able to be in that sweet spot of a job is is a really cool thing where it's a good fit sort of for your personality. Yeah, absolutely. Question three, what advice would you give a brand new first year school counselor? Okay. School counseling is not all counseling. And you have to be comfortable with the other stuff, right? I, I call it ninja counseling, call it micro I'm calling it lots of different things into counseling light. I'm not going to call it counseling light because it could be a really hardcore interaction that takes five minutes, right? But you're going to be doing scheduling. You're going to be into, involved in those other things. You may find yourself doing testing. Um, I know that there's counselors who get really frustrated that there's not, that it's not as clinical, that you're not just seeing students all day long in that sort of normal, traditional, um, mental health model. So for a new person coming in, it's like, that's not going to be how it is. And we don't, the education of school counselors, I think, doesn't necessarily prepare them very well for that either. They say, this is how it's supposed to be. And it's bad if it's not. It's like, or it's just your job description, you know, have, Um, I'm not going to fight against something that like, that's what I'm hired to do. So having an open mind, being flexible and having multiple skills. A lot of this is very detail management. It's a lot of that kind of like, I feel like my administrative kind of brain works really hard during scheduling. Like I play Tetris and I'm really good at it. Um, and that's what I like about that part. But if you're trained as a mental health counselor, that's different. Um, so to be flexible and to understand that you're not always going to be doing the clinical stuff. You're going to be doing lots of other things, but you're part of a living, breathing entity, which is a a brick and mortar school. So it's fun, but it's not all going to be, it's not going to be what you're going to learn, you know, in a counseling program. Mm -hmm. So, and lots of jobs do turn out differently than they seem in school. For sure. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for all your wisdom. And listeners, don't forget about Nancy's book. It's called Fumbling Towards Serenity, a weekly guide. It's available on Amazon. Yes, right? it is. Uh-huh. So if you want more great advice for Nancy, from Nancy, go check okay. it out. Can I say one final thing? Yeah. I just want to, you know, to the educators out there that are listening, this is, I think, a lot in terms of, like, mythic kind of things. And this is one of the most noble purpose-filled gigs out there um and to not underestimate the power of that um i know it's been really hard i've talked to student teachers are really stressed out right now but you're fulfilling like a nearly sacred duty in society which is to educate and inform our next generation so there's a a lot of jobs don't have that um 
and I just want you know all the educators out there to know that like you are fulfilling a very 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 important role and not to ever forget that even if all your kids are monsters one day, right? It is still the choice to do that and the choice to be in that and doing that is such a deep kind of a gig that um, I think that's also a little bit underappreciated. And I want educators to know that that is seriously a big deal. So I completely agree. Yeah. If you're an educator, you never have to worry if any day of your life has been meaningful because right. every single day is. Absolutely. Even if you can't see it right away. Exactly. And you're not going to see it in your kids necessarily right away, but you're planting seeds. We don't know what we're going to, we don't get to see that, but have confidence that that is in fact happening. So yeah, exactly. yeah I just wanted really the most, most, most respect for teachers and educators, especially the last couple of years. It's been miraculous, honestly, what education has been able to do with itself. So, oh, it's so true. Oh my goodness. Bigger, bigger, bigger than any bigger, just huge. Mm-hmm. So all right. Well, thanks, Thank Nancy. you so much for I having so me. I appreciate your time. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Teacher's Lounge podcast. And I apologize for that intermittent dog barking. I don't know why they were barking so much in this episode. They must have been seeing some squirrels or other dogs. Who knows? It's one of the downsides of being a remote worker. So I appreciate your patience with that. But thanks for listening, and don't forget to go to idahoednews.org for all the latest, and have a great week.